I've mentioned it to my family, but in terms of telling people like, oh yeah, we're doing this, I'm looking for projects. You got anything, yeah. I'm, I'm not there yet because it scares the out of me. Dreaming of launching your own architecture firm? Well, well, buckle up for a wild ride with Emerging, the podcast that shares what it's really like to start an architecture firm. Where do we begin? We don't even know what type of business to formalize as. Is it an LLC? Is it an LLP? Like how are taxes? I mean, the list is astronomical. Season one featured founders Jeffrey, Lexi, and Chris, owners of Level Studio Architecture, are your fearless guides on this unfiltered journey from napkin sketches to a thriving studio. One evening, stumbled into one last dive, we sat at the bar and pondered our postgraduate futures. Amidst the conversation, a napkin became the canvas for our aspirations, sketching plans and milestones, sealing our heartfelt commitment and shared dreams. In drawing down dreams on a napkin collectively, that (laughs) then, you know, in your head, you've rooted like, oh, I'm connected to these people, like long term. The process of starting an architecture practice brims with excitement and challenges, demanding meticulous planning, flawless execution, and unyielding resilience. I kind of hate the term because it's so overly used, but I think everybody knows imposter syndrome. And I think it's, it's so real to this day. I, I I don't know if it's with everybody, but with me, I'm always questioning like us, can we do this? Are we ready to do this? Are we prepared? Can we do it? Did we just decide a name? (laughs) We did it guys. One that came out of nowhere. It came out of nowhere. I liked it. I saw it. Ready to turn your aspirations into reality? Follow the link in the show notes to subscribe to Emerging and chart your own path to architectural success. This episode of Spaces Podcast is supported by Twin Motion, the simple real-time rendering solution to create high-quality imagery, client presentations, and interactive experiences that help communicate your design ideas fast. Hello, my name is Demetrius. This is Jason. Hey, good morning. And you are listening to Spaces Podcast Express. Thank you for coming back, everybody. So this uh, thought crossed my mind recently uh, as things are have been going crazy for me on my end. Um, our industry doesn't necessarily really plan ahead, in my opinion. And I saw this a lot in previous jobs that I've worked at uh, companies where the way that I see it is at least specific to the architecture profession. I'll I'll preface so you can jump in and let me know if it's different. But I think the cyclical nature of our industry pushes architects to accept a lot of work and have a hard time pushing it away and... um, planning out how they're going to handle work. And because of that, this constant sort of overload when when you can get work, and then when there's downtime and you're going through these tough decisions of trying to let people go and look for more work, you don't really have this point where you're sort of forecasting and planning ahead of how you can operate in a more efficient way, if that makes sense. Do you see that in maybe in your particular sector or other parts of the industry? So I think, I think it's an interesting, it's a philosophical input, right? 
Mm-hmm. So when you look at our industry from a building perspective, you've got the builders, the landowners or whatever, uh, developers, and then you have the tradesmen and you mm-hmm. fall into trade essentially as well, right? Because you're, you're supplying, you know, whether it's intellectual capacity or labor, you know, to the builder, that's where we all fall into just in different segments. Mm-hmm. Um, I think the builders do a good job of forecasting, meaning they know it's like, okay, I've got a five-year play. I need to have X amount of property to be able to develop, blah, 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 blah. However, mm-hmm. I talk about this with quite a few people. I'm not so sure. I think sometimes it looks like they don't plan very well because our industry is cyclical. So it just ramps up and ramps up and then drops off, right? And, yeah. and everybody falls off the cliff. All the sheep, all the penguins, like everything, <laughs> right? Like everything goes, right? Yeah. And if you're if you're to take a slice of that, you know, and look at like the interior rings of the tree, right? Like that idea, it's like, that's, that's all you do in this industry. Yeah. You just, you go from scarcity to oversupply and then bam, drop scarcity, bam, drop, like all that kind of stuff. And you have to look at it and be like, how stupid are we? <laughs> like, you know, how stupid are the developers? How stupid are the builders? How stupid are the tradespeople? Like we're in that mode right now, hundred yeah. percent. I'm waiting for it. Mm-hmm. Um, but then I realized that whole run up on the developer and builder side is planned. Yeah. And they're also planning for it to drop off. And what I mean by that is where you would look at it from the outside perspective and be like, that's stupid. And it is. Yeah. There's more risk to the builders and the people running those divisions and things like that to not keep going with the economy and buying and buying and consuming and consuming and consuming mm-hmm. and not winning out on the high dollar, high margin side of it, mm-hmm. then slowing down before it gets there, missing on that top portion. Because when it drops off, what do they do? They take their tax adjustments, they take their impairments, they take all this other kind of stuff. So they don't lose in the same manner as everybody else. Yeah. But where the where the difference is, right? That's that's like segment one, right? Mm-hmm. Or or one side, segment A. Segment B becomes all the tradespeople. Yeah. Where where I fall into, where you fall into, your your plumbers, your, you know, your electricians, your roofers, your framers, all these guys, concrete guys and whatever. And so what happens is, as you start to hit that upper 25% of the market, people are just trying to grab as many guys as they can to keep up with demand, to your point. <laughs> and where I think that's a failure in a few different ways is one, again, this is all my own philosophies, right? Yeah. I disagree with the sales standpoint of go out and grab everything you can and then try to service it, which <laughs> yeah. is where I feel like 80% of the companies fall into in our industry. Mm-hmm. I've always been much more from my side, build it all and make sure I've got what I need, keep everybody fed, you know, maybe not as massively, but then when it ramps up, you're, you're already prepared for it. Does that make sense? Mm-hmm. That's more the side I've always believed and build it before you sell it. Mm-hmm. To me, the selling part is, and this, again, this is a personal thing. To me, the selling part is not the hard part, the building, the operation to support the sales part, which will then create a cyclical opportunity is the hard part, right? Yeah. Sales is easy. It's the, and, and I know that sounds crazy to a lot of people out there. Like I can never do sales. Like it scares me or whatever. The sales part, if you really break it down, is very simple. Take care of people and they'll take care of you. It's not that hard. You just have to solve problems. Mm-hmm. You have to be good at that. But so I've always believed in building it before you sell it. And what happens is I think because people get so afraid of losing out of those extra dollars, they just keep saying yes. And so a lot of trades, and I know them that do this, what happens is when they feel like they're at the capacity of what they can service. So then what they start doing is they say, okay, all these builders are clamoring for other trades. So I'm just going to bid it at, let's say 10%, 20% more than I normally would, right? To where it's a high value job at that point. Yeah. And if they don't get it, then what I'm going to do is 
or I'm sorry, then if they get it, they're just going to cut out somebody else at a lower margin position and take the higher margin dollar and say, well, it was worth it. Right. Yeah. So now, but now you've got a gap somewhere else because you don't have the labor to do that. So you end up having, you know, the smaller builders and everybody else that don't have the funds to pay for it at that point. They're the ones that end up suffering. <laughs> I disagree with that entirely. I don't think that's the right way to do anything. I don't, you know, I wish the builder partners would see that more. Again, I think they do see it, but it, they kind of just put their hands up in the air. Like we got to do whatever we got to do. Yeah. And while I would say that that's, you know, the trades end up falling off like crazy. They're the ones that get hurt when the, when the market drops or at least all the, the associates do that they have to cut and let go of. Um, I think it's planned, if that makes sense. You know what I mean? Like, you know, that's what's going to happen, but you're still bringing in so many funds and high margin funds at the end of that cycle that I want to say it makes the pain less for the owners and everybody else that has to cut them out. It ends up hurting, you know, the tradesmen that are actually in the field instead, right? That get hired and they get dropped. But then ultimately the economy usually follows home building anyway. So the rest of the economy is going to be in the same spot. Right. Mm -hmm. I don't know how you necessarily fix that. That's probably way beyond my studied capability. Right. Mm -hmm. But I don't think it's the right thing to do. I know even before we started hitting this long market, I was asked by somebody, what would you do right now? And I was like, I would actually shrink. Hmm. Like, I don't want to continue to bloat and keep hiring people and whatever else I would rather. I've always, I think we've talked about it before. I've always believed in working people to about an 80% capacity instead of trying to milk hundred percent out of somebody all the time, which is not realistic, right? Yeah. They're just going to fake that, but about an 80% water level, which means look, sometimes you're going to drop down to 70% and you feel like you don't have that, you know, you're not just like taxed all the time, which is what you want, but sometimes you have to jump to 90, 95, hundred, maybe 110. <laughs> but as long as that's like, that's okay. People are willing at times to put in the extra time and effort, right? Yeah. So I think historically where you go is the fourth quarter usually goes like September, October, November, December. Yeah. And so everybody knows you're going to have to work a little bit harder then, and that's okay. But it's also not just hiring and hiring and hiring people where it's like, Oh, we got to be prepared. We got to, like, it also gets down to management too. Yeah. You know what I mean? And, and I don't think, I, I don't think I know a lot of the people that are, that run in, run business and stuff aren't necessarily good managers. <laughs> I know it firsthand. I've seen it hundred percent. We have people in our own industry and in our own building and stuff like that, that are not very good managers which is where you need to spend the time because if you don't understand what your teams are going through and really what their water levels are at that point, how can you properly plan? Yeah. It's impossible, yeah. right? It's impossible to do that if you don't have the carnal knowledge. And I would tell you that's where people fall short. Mm -hmm. There's a disparity. And I know we've gone over this before. I think there's a disparity between your executive management or whatever you want to call these people. And then your mid-level managers mm -hmm. and there's not enough coaching and diving down to, to, you know, at one point, something that I would do a lot, I would dive down to work with those mid-level managers to teach them how to take my job mm -hmm. and be like, no, these are the things you got to watch and look out for. This is what, what do you mean? You don't understand where their workload is. That's your job. Your yeah. job is not actually a task specifically as a manager, right? Your job is to manage the tasks to get done, but then manage the people that are the ones that are in charge of those tasks and see where their strengths and weaknesses lie and all that kind of stuff. That's the hard part about business. It's the mistake I made a long time ago, thinking the further and further you move up the ranks, the less and less you'd have to deal with people. It's the opposite. Yeah. It's not just business plans and fun and visioning and, and dreaming, right? It's like, no, it's actually way harder because now you've got to put way more intellectual capital into people mm -hmm. that all understand it at different levels and different ways and everything else. And it became a totally different ball game. And I would tell you, that's where the planning falls short. Yeah. That's the planning part. Yeah. And I think that's kind of where 
our industry lacks in that we operate to that high efficiency to a fault of the entire team is everyone's in the weeds trying to get the job done uh look for the next job to keep everybody fed but there's no one really forecasting to the point of how do we become more efficient as a system what other opportunities there are for services maybe it's pre-made products pre-made things that can be sold to supplement so that it's not always relying on just the service aspect how do we use different software to make things more efficient baking in the time to train uh, manage coach people up all of those other aspects because all all of that is dollars (laughs) we're going to take a quick break to share a little bit more about our sponsors Let's talk ArcViz technology. Powered by the near limitless Unreal Engine, our friends at Twinmotion offer a fast and easy way to produce stunning real-time visualizations and immersive experiences for your clients. Twinmotion gives you the tools you need to make faster decisions and relay information to your clients in a way that instantly speaks to them. Breathe life into your scene by changing the season, the weather, the time of day, just by moving a slider. Immersing your client in a way that they'll love, and more importantly, be able to truly picture themselves in. Why not share your design with stakeholders in collaborative reviews and edit your scene together? There's no better way to get buy-in than by making your clients feel part of the development process. Right now, they're running an exclusive free trial, which you can head to twinmotion.link spaces to get your hands on. That's twinmotion.link slash spaces. Well, you know what's crazy is like, and I, and I can, you know, back when I was part of, of really creating the vision for this before we had sold to a different company, like, and it wasn't my idea, but um, Matt, who I'd mentioned before, he had come from a lot of Fortune 100 companies and stuff and was like, your guys' systems are garbage. I mean, more or less, <laughs> right? And, and it became this whole idea where it's like, you need to create something that links and syncs and does all this kind of stuff and literally build something from the ground up. So you were able to do things from a much more efficient manner and a program that talks to everything on the front end, through the middle, all the way through the back end loops around, right? Yep. We could not do the same things we're doing with the amount of human capital we have now, 10 years ago. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? It's impossible. And it's not just because of the evolution of product and, and science. This is stuff we started working on six years ago, seven years ago, right? Eight years ago, whatever it was. So you have to do that because then it does better quote unquote prepare you for what's going on in the future the other thing that i would tell you is when people get into mid-level management or hire whatever whatever the stupid titles are right i think it's garbage i've always thought titles are garbage you have a job to do mm-hmm. and when you pay as a manager or somebody that's in a high high position at some point your job is to take the difficult things off of the individual that's struggling at that point mm-hmm. And what I mean by that is you, you should understand again, people's water levels. And if they can't handle what they have going on, your job should be to jump in and go side shoulder to shoulder with them and help them get that done. (laughs) At the same time, you should be evaluating how and why they can't do that. So then to your point, you can go back in and create a different effective solution. See what we're wasting time on. See what doesn't need to be done. Do they understand the 80, 20 rule? You know, all these other kinds of things that go along with it. No, I don't care about the hundred dollars over there. I'm worried about the 50,000 here. Yeah. You know, now I, I don't want to lose the hundred, but my point is given right now, I want the 50. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like, and these are how you have to hone things in, but 
I don't know if it's social media or whatever, when it goes along with this whole entrepreneurial thing where it's like, everybody's supposed to sit there in a three piece suit and kick their feet up and you know, all this bullshit, like the, the most effective managers and the most effective company have people that lead. You do not lead by sitting back and not being involved. And then by throwing out how things should work from an, you know, an ivory tower mm-hmm. and saying, because I've been in this business for 30 years, I know all and everything else. It doesn't work that way. Mm-hmm. From what I've seen, I think that's the biggest hiccup we have is involvement and, and managers not being truly involved and willing to show by example, how to get things done and stand shoulder to shoulder and say, look, whatever I'm asking you to do, I've either a already done myself or I'm B always willing to do as well. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Those kind of things which creates a whole nother level of unity and team, team growth and, and forward movement because they believe in what everybody's doing now. You know what I mean? And that's why sometimes I go sweep the warehouse with the, with the guys, you know what I mean? And you chat and you laugh. And I will tell you, you find out more about what's going on in the world in that scenario than you do in anything else in a group of three or four people sitting in an office. Mm-hmm. Like that's the truth. And I think we miss those things. And if we did that more often, we would figure out what makes people tick. We would figure out what's more important. I mean, here's a, here's a question for anybody to ask themselves. When was the last time whoever was your boss came and walked in and said, what can I do to make your job more efficient or easier? Mm-hmm. When was the last time you were asked that by any of your managers? And that goes from top to the bottom manager and the manager to those associates and that manager to those associates and below and below and below as I'm using hand signals that nobody can see. <laughs> yeah. So, but, but that's when was the last time they did that? And that will give you an idea of what type of company you're in and you're working for and what and how much they really look at future planning. Mm-hmm. Because if they're interested in those types of things, they're saying, truthfully, how can I get more out of you? Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Like, that's the truth. That's our job, right? Yeah. Is, to, is to be as efficient as possible. But then what do I need to do to invest in that to make us run more efficient? They're essentially asking you because they want input mm-hmm. to make everybody better. You yeah. know what I mean? And they're willing to invest that time and money. And I, and I would imagine maybe it's a poll question, you know, that you throw out there. I would imagine it's very small. Yeah. Very, very small to do that. Cause they can't, cause they can't take their eye off the ultimate ball, mm-hmm. which is really two, three, five, 10 years out. You yeah. know what I mean? How do we continue to invest and make it in, into your point plan for those types of things? Um, and I think in our industry right now, D I, I think it's, I think it's a couple of years and we're going to have that turnover that we talked about. A lot of that old C-suite agenda is going to be gone. And mm-hmm. they're going to be, you know, not off to pasture, but just off golfing maybe <laughs> um, and be done on the last run up. And then we're going to have a lot of managers coming up through there that will be going through the same cycles. And my hope is that they look at things differently. But then again, as I kind of mentioned earlier, I'm not sure that that's not planned. You know what I mean? How, how this industry works and, and yeah. how cyclical it is and just that run up and drop off. Well, it's, there is a little bit of a difference from the home building industry and uh, outside of home building. Sure. And I think in the greater building industry, there are a lot of companies that are trying to implement new things, but there are more that are not and that are struggling day to day. Um, But I think there's a lot of new companies that are coming up that are that have a lot of systems built in that have diversified service lines that are not traditional, um, that are going to completely change the way we look at what like architecture. Um, and I think other facets of our industry will start to change a little bit as well and start to do things that are more pre-manufactured and, uh, products that are available to diversify and, and different types of services. 
You know, what's interesting is you talk about like different systems and things like that that'll make things more efficient. One of the things that drives me bananas, and I just had a conversation with one of our partners about this. And yeah, and most of my knowledge or focus is on the residential side, right? Because that's where I, that's where I quote unquote live. Um, they always talk about new scheduling software and how this is going to make things more efficient and everything. And I always come back to them like, but what was wrong with the stuff that you already had in place that you never used? You know what I mean? Like every five years, there's some new platform that comes out that's going to be amazing to schedule with and this and that, and whatever. And, and electronically, you'll get all your purchase orders and your contracts and whatever. But then the issue always comes down to implementation. Yeah. And I can tell you with 99% certainty, almost all those ones that the builders have tried to utilize, 90% of them have failed mm-hmm. because they don't, it's hard to implement across the board, especially when you're a huge company. And when it relies on guys in the field to operate within a, a computer program that you don't spend the time to truly train or put your foot down and say, I'm not doing it any other way. This is the only way it's going to get done. Mm-hmm. Maybe that's something that, that we all have to look at. Cause I agree with you. There's, there's amazing programs that come out all the time, but the utilization and the forced utilization of it is something that needs to be challenged consistently because I don't think that happens. For, for builders, developers, it's a little bit difficult because they have so many outside contributors to their product. So it's hard to sort of force train and catch people up from the outside. It's a little bit easier for systems-based thinking within a company itself. So if it's just purely an accounting, like for a builder's perspective, if it's just specifically internal accounting and project mm-hmm. management they can handle that and get everybody trained up within their own sure. umbrella but once you stretch out of that and expect other people to use it that's when it just completely goes upside down correct so i think oh, within totally like within architecture firm for example you can implement systems and, and way things operate and make it a requirement and get people to get on board pretty easily as long as you're willing to do it and to think about those sorts of things yeah yeah, you're probably right. It just I don't think they've been willing to do it or think about those things yet. <laughs> so so I've reached a point, uh, and the reason that this is coming up, I think I slightly mentioned it, but I've reached a point where I have to try to get to the next level, and I'm trying to figure out, like, how do I plan ahead? How do I start to scale back on work and get out of the weeds to some point? And I think I'm hitting that point where i got to figure out either I can get someone to help or turn down work to build in a window of planning time. You know, it's funny. I, I listened to on the way in, I listened to another podcast and it's a, it's a spinoff from one of the ones that I liked. And it talked about literally when's the right time to scale and how do you do that type of stuff and everything. Right. And the answer, the answer, and I believe it is you should always be moving forward mm-hmm. no matter what you got to be moving forward and taking it on. So it's, it, it becomes a scenario and I've seen it happen and I've had to deal with it personally where you end up having to bring on somebody else and you may, as an entrepreneur, you make less. Yeah. <laughs> like that's what happens. You end up making it, which sounds backwards to most people. Right. But you end up having to make less to make more Yeah. and it's, and, it, and you got to view it as an investment. And it was great because on this, on the, on this episode, it was, you know, when's the right time. And he's like, you know, you know, because the minute it starts popping into your head, it's the right time. Like you're going to have to make that decision yeah. because you're already feeling it. And, but the hard part is for anybody that's never started a business and created revenue, it's the most difficult thing 
to to build something from nothing and start making money but then feel like you're going to start going backwards yeah that's what the feeling is yep. like you're like like wait a minute i'm i'm, I'm making money I have to start making less money again, even though I'm making more money. Like, yeah. it's not, no, I don't want to do that. You know what I mean? And that's a psychological thing. And it's, and it's not unfair and it's, and it's scary, right? It's a fear-based mm-hmm. scenario. And, but the answer is if you execute a proper plan to your point, so mm-hmm. keep the business coming because you always want streams of income, mm-hmm. you know what I mean? And keep the business coming and get somebody else to help you out with that um, so that you can build another stream of income, which will ultimately take care of that person you just hired. You know what I mean? Like that's the idea and plan for more and more and more. And it's hard, but that's the answer. You're going to have to hire more people because at one point or another, you're going to have to hire somebody anyway, if you're going to keep growing. So you might as well get somebody you like and trust and train them when it's more capable. And then hopefully you spend some time doing that and then, which is your investment. And then you can have a little bit more think time to keep planning and build the next one and then hire the next person and, and do those types of things. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's scary and it's, and it's, <laughs> and it's very backward. It feels very backward thinking, but in actuality it's the right way to do it. Yeah. Uh, why can't it be easy? Don't slow down. Don't, you know, you know, it's funny that the episode's called, I don't know why I can't remember the reason why it was like sharks and spoons. It's like the people that don't understand it are the ones that want to slow down. He goes, because there's a lot of people out there that just have a motor that runs and they're not going to stop. You know what I mean? And those are the killers, right? The sharks or whatever that he was calling and stuff like that. Mm. And he goes, and ultimately when you've got, you know, a small 1% of people in business, you know, are actually entrepreneurs and, and like uh, one out of seven of those people actually make it, you know what I mean? And, and those are usually the ones that keep moving forward. Mm-hmm. So even though it feels like you may be taking a step backwards, you're really still moving forward in that regard because you're setting yourself up to be able to achieve more. Yeah. And, and he's right. Oh, can I, can I say this too for, because it got entrepreneurial. Yeah. Please don't limit how people can pay you. I think it's the dumbest thing. Like I was at, it's just an opinion, but we were, you know, gone for um, our kid stuff again. And one of these places wasn't taking cash and this and that and whatever. Look, it's the dumbest thing. <laughs> take cash, take credit card. If you're going to give up an extra percent to use an Amex, don't limit the way people can pay you. Take money. Just yeah. take money. It's yeah. a bad idea. <laughs> but do All it. Right. Move forward. Don't stop. All right, man. Thanks for joining me, Jason. Thank you to the listeners for listening. We will talk again on Thursday. Thanks. Thanks again for listening. Don't forget to check out our sponsors. By checking them out and supporting them, you help us keep this show going. Thank you to Twin Motion for their support of this podcast episode. Don't forget to visit twinmotion.link spaces today and try Twin Motion for free. Spaces is part of the Gable Media Network. You can check out similar content at gablemedia.com. That's G-A-B-L media.com. If you enjoy our show, you can support us in three simple ways for free. You can leave us a rating and review on Apple Podcasts or on your podcast app if it allows you to. Tell a friend and follow us on social media. Thanks for spending time with us. Talk soon.
Hey, architecture firm owners and emerging leaders, get ready for unparalleled insight into the development of a world-class architecture firm and a worldwide organization driving the digital transformation of the design and construction industry with Build Smart, the podcast that's changing how our profession operates. We share the incredible stories behind innovation in the building industry with my friend and co-host, Patrick McLaney, FAIA, former CEO of the international architecture firm, HOK. You know, Yamasaki's office or firm lasted during his lifetime. And when he passed away, I think that was the end of the Yamasaki office. Helmut did not want that. He wanted a firm that would live out and grow beyond the founders. In season one, discover the untold stories behind HOK's meteoric rise, from 150 employees in St. Louis to a powerhouse with over 1,900 staff members and 27 offices worldwide. You know, they weren't as polite as the Kojima people. That was just boom. And anytime you have a creditor, whether it's Kojima or the bank, that wants their money, unless you can raise money someplace else, you are out of business. Bankrupt. Bankrupt. And hold on tight for season two, where Patrick takes us on a new adventure as chairman of Building Smart International, shaping the future of digital transformation in the design, construction, and operation of built assets. Ian Howell, Ken Harold, and I, Ken was my technical representative from HOK. The three of us took a tour of Europe of five cities in five days. Very busy time. Simply follow the link in the show notes to subscribe to Build Smart Now and uncover lessons that will transform you and your architecture firm.